Today we'll be reading from Acts 20, verses 32 through 35, and it is on page 788 of your pew Bible. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of the Lord. As you probably know, quite frequently in the Old Testament, life principles were given to us through the form of commandments. You've probably heard at least 10 of those, and there are more that you find in the Old Testament. But by the time you get to the New Testament era, usually life application statements, life principles, were not communicated so much by commandments, but by what we call beatitudes. And you're probably familiar with the ones that Jesus opens his Sermon on the Mount with. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and all those. So you have all of those. But did you realize that there is at least one beatitude outside of the Gospels that Jesus spoke? It's interesting if you have a red-letter Bible. Does anybody have one of those and you have the book of Acts? And it's, a bunch of, it's a sea of black letters, black words in uh, Acts. But then you get to this passage in Acts chapter 20, and suddenly there's a beatitude quote by Jesus that you do not find in the Gospels. But nevertheless, Jesus said it. Who wrote the book of Acts? Does anybody know? Let's go back to school. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts, and, and clearly he was aware of this beatitude that Jesus had shared, and Paul was as well, because Paul quotes it there. And it's just interesting to find one that is outside the Gospels like that. Now, the context is this. Paul is saying goodbye to the people of the church at Ephesus. He has been with them for two years. Now, you know that Paul was just a maniac at, at, at founding churches and then moving on. But he stayed in Ephesus longer than any other place by far. He had a two-year tenure there. And so he really got to know these people and got to know them deeply and had deepened friendships there. So here he's giving his farewell address just before they pray over him. They weep together and have a, a, a bittersweet farewell, I'm sure. But what are the last words he shares here? It is more blessed to give than to receive a beatitude. Now, some have called it the supreme beatitude because all the other beatitudes you read in the New Testament are what? Blessed are you who whatever. This says it is more blessed here. So some people call it the supreme beatitude. It's the final words he shares with this wonderful church with whom he has had this incredible relationship. Now, this morning, I really just want to get real simple, real practical when it comes to dealing with this very basic question. How is it blessed to give? Why is it such a blessing? Well, first of all, it makes us more like God. Let me break that down. You know, why should we give of ourselves? Do we feel obligated? It shouldn't be because of that. No, because when we give, it makes us more like God. Somebody help me with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he what? Fill in the blank. Gave. That's what he was about. God so loved the world that he gave. He was a giving God, so when we give, we are becoming more like Him. We are lining up toward His nature, and the more we do that, the more we're going to have the desire to live like Him. It's interesting the word makarios there is the word for blessed, and it means to be fulfilled, to be spiritually 
prosperous. And it was the word used in Jesus' day by Greek pagans to describe the life of the gods, the pagan gods. It, it, it was the makarioi theoi, the, the, the blessed gods and this blessed life that they had. It's kind of cool that Jesus took that word and said, no, here's where the real blessing is. And it's to give of yourself the way I give to you as my Father has has enabled me to do and has enabled you to do as well. So again, that's one reason it's blessed to give. When we do that, we are more like the giving God. But let's take it another step. It's also blessed to give because it gives life for us, not just for those to whom we give, but it breathes life for us. Let me ask you this and and really think about this. How many of you have ever heard a wonderful mission testimony this morning by Claire How many of you have ever heard somebody get up here or get up somewhere and give a missions testimony and say, you know, I ministered all that week, but I left there being more blessed than they were. Something said in that kind of form, I got more out of it than they did. How many of y'all have ever heard somebody share that before? Look at that. How many of you have been on a mission trip, done a ministry around here, and and you, you leave it and you reflect upon it, and you realize, my gosh, I really think I was more blessed than those to whom I was ministering. Raise your hand. Okay. It breathes life for us. Giving gives life. To me, it's kind of cool how God took the geography of the Holy Land and made a beautiful analogy about this. If you go to where the Sea of Galilee is and you see the kids playing in and around the coastline of Tiberias or Bethesda, and, and you just see this lush greenery. You see all these vegetables being grown and sold, fruits being grown and sold. There's all this wonderful commerce going on. It, it just, it's vibrant with life around the Sea of Galilee. But then you go south, follow the water down, and you get to this place that all it is really is a receptacle. It's the lowest place on the planet, and all it does is accumulate. That's all it does. And by very... <laughs> By, the, by nature of its very title, you realize this is a different kind of place. What is the lowest place? Somebody help me. What is it? The Dead Sea. <laughs> and again, this is a place where everything comes in and it accumulates, but there's no flow to it. You go to the Sea of Galilee, there is flow to it. There's give and take because you have uh, the, the snow that melts on Mount, Mount Hermon. comes down and through the Sea of Galilee, and there's this flow going through it. That sea is not just receiving things, but it's passing it on. But you get down to the Dead Sea, and all it's like a receptacle. That's really what it is. It's almost like a cistern just collecting all this stuff. And it's dead. It's desolate. There's no life around it. Those of you who have been there know what it's like. You might have floated in the water, and that's great. But, I mean, it's really kind of a dead place. And I think it's kind of cool. It's kind of God, by virtue of the way he created the Holy Land, saying, you know what? It's the life that gives that really gives life to yourself. It's the life that lives as well. And equally, really, the life that focuses on taking, accumulating, grasping, hanging on to, really is more of a spiritual death than a spiritual life. Giving gives life for you and me. Remember years ago, I read a brief biography of John D. Rockefeller, who's an amazing individual by the Age 30, he was a millionaire. By age 50, he was a billionaire. By the time he was 53 years old, he was literally making a million dollars a day. This was back in 1892. What would the equivalent of that be now? I just can't even imagine. He was making a million dollars a day and focusing on accumulation, acquiring, acquisition. That's what he was all about. A million a day and he was sick. A lot of it was the stress of this and and the self-consumedness of all this. And he was so sick 
that all he could eat was crackers and, and sweet milk. That's all he could eat. Uh, imagine that, making a million bucks a day and you can't eat a bologna sandwich. You know, that's sad. I mean, he was in that bad a shape. The newspapers did not think that he was going to make it to age 54, so the L.A. Times and the New York Times and all these other newspapers in the day, they had his obit ready to print. I mean, they had written it out. said, we'll just modify it a bit, and when he goes before age 54, we'll put it in there. It's interesting, though, he sought some counsel. He decided, you know, I'm a, it's really like the Dead Sea. I am so focused on acu- accumulating things, acquiring things, hanging on to them, and it's, I'm consumed by it. And he realized, I'm really, I'm causing myself to die. And at that point at age 53, he founded the Rockefeller Foundation and began all this philanthropic work and started the flow, just like the, the Sea of Galilee, started this flow of, of yes, I've received this, but I'm going to get it out there. One of the first things he did was founded the uh, Riverside Church up in New York City, where they still have vibrant worship there. But he did so many other things. Here he was subsisting on crackers and sweet milk, He wound up dying at age 98, and his personal physicians attribute his giving spirit, just that sudden paradigm shift and life shift in his life, to where it really saved him, really rescued him. I'm not here to say, by the way, you start giving where you're going to live to 98. Just Let me just get that out there. But no doubt your life will be blessed, more qualitative. It will breathe life. Jesus said, what, I've come that you would have life, have it more abundantly, and he's talking about now. But again, you do so if you become more like him, the God who gave, and, and it just winds up changing your life for the good. Sharing the whole, okay, let's see, last year was a real people, real life, real love. What was our first year emphasis? The whole church, can, okay, can you help me with that? Even if you want to murmur it, don't say it with gusto, just murmur it. The whole church taking the whole gospel, yeah, that was a good murmur. Now let's say it like we mean it, the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Okay, thank you. But when we take that whole gospel to other people, it help makes us whole. It helps us breathe life. One of the ways it's, that it's blessed to give, and I want you to hear me on this and, and, and follow me, it, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's what Jesus said. But it is blessed to receive, and we need to be able to do that in order to give. I'm going back to what I was talking about with flow, with with. The snow from Mount Hermon melting and flowing through the Sea of Galilee so that the Sea of Galilee can provide for other places where it is close by. Again, we need to be good receivers in order to be good givers. Again, let me read one more time because I just love this passage. Because this is basically saying we take the comfort, the consolation, the compassion we receive from God and we receive that in order to be empowered to minister to others. Again, Paul, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now, it's tragic to lose the capacity to give, but it's also tragic to lose the capacity to receive. And we've talked about this before. It's hard sometimes in our culture, our our, our you know, image-laden culture, our, our pride-laden culture to, to lower our pride and say, I need help. But there are times inevitably when you are going to experience a loss, to have relational 
struggles, maybe to have financial issues, to be confused about something, to be uncertain about something, to be fearful about something, whatever it might be, and you're going to need to receive. And I'm not saying, oh, let God you know, give you whatever you want. I'm saying you need to receive what you need sometimes to be a better minister, missionary yourself. I mean, we were created in one sense to be recipients. We received the gift of life. The gift of food, shelter, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of comfort, the gift of friends, family, and it goes on. And Jesus himself says, when you have freely received, then you can freely give. Do you remember Matthew 10 when he sends out the disciples to do some great things? He basically says, I'm going to empower you to do some really cool things. You're going to cleanse lepers of leprosy. You're going to drive out demons. You're going to help the poor. You're going to proclaim the gospel. You're going to help those who are hurting And how does he close it up? He says in verse 8 of chapter 10 of Matthew, freely you have received, now freely give. Presupposes that you've received help from God, now you become, in a sense, a wounded healer in helping others. Think about Paul in his letters, and really think about James in his epistle as well. They basically say, you know, what real authentic faith is, It's reaching out to people who have experienced some kind of crisis in their lives, whether it's a very sudden crisis or kind of an ongoing crisis. Someone who who is orphaned, someone who is a widow, someone who is elderly, someone who is suffering, someone who has lost someone, someone who is hurting, someone who's depressed. They say that's really authentic ministry, which is right. Just before you see verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What does Paul say in a phrase? Help the weak. That's why we help the weak. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 12 about the weak? The weak members of the body of Christ are treated with what? Greater honor. So in other words, we need to be receivers in order to be strengthened enough to be the ministers to strengthen others. And I just hope we can keep that in mind. It reminds me of something that I think is really cool. Um, Not long ago, the deacons started this thing. Uh, By the way, deacons meeting tonight. Just want to remind you, deacons. Uh, Deacon's meeting, uh, we started this thing called uh, Two or More Gatherings, and, and, and what we wind up doing is, is three deacons get together one time in a month, and it's just kind of this random kind of scheduling, but you wind up having lunch, uh, one uh, lunchtime a month, probably with some people you might not know as well, and, and we've heard testimonies even among the deacons about how cool that's been, just, hey, I didn't really know this person at all, and I got to know them, and I was so blessed by what they had to share, and they offered me some wisdom, and we prayed together and all that. And that's great, and that's fine, and we'll, we'll keep up with that. But we're going to add a layer to that, which I think is really cool. There's some deacons who were basically studying, well, what, what does it say in the New Testament about deacons anyway? And you read Paul's letters, you read James and other passages, and really what deacons were about back then anyway was to help people who were in a certain type of critical situation whether being a widow or an orphan or someone who is elderly, other situations as well. And so we're going to add two, two, two or more gatherings and have two or more ministries. Now, what does that mean? Well, we'll, we'll have three people at least who, who just really focus on a certain ministry. And it's not like that old deacon family model where, okay, here's your assigned families, call them and you know, see if they're coming to church and tell them you love them and all that. This is too programmatic. This is more, you know, if we know of a situation in the church where somebody needs some very practical help, we're going to work on that. And, and, and we've really discerned, and we've dis- Tim, we've discussed it a lot, where, you know, sometimes it's people who need community support. 
whether it's you know, recovery from divorce or grief or some other difficulty, financial situation, whatever it might be. But there also might be some practical needs as well. Someone who you know, can't move this furniture around or get it out of the house, whatever it might be. And you know, we'll have some people help with that. Somebody who needs some practical help with, with keeping financial books or whatever it might be. And so we're going to try to discern what needs we have the gifts to, to, to fill. And again, we're talking about critical needs. This isn't rent a deacon, by the way, so just keep that in mind. Uh, but no, it really is looking at critical needs of people in a, you know, and it can be a crisis with a, with a capital C. It can be a crisis with a small C that's kind of a, an ongoing thing that somebody deals with, and on occasion they just need a little, little help. And so we're going to focus on that. And again, I hope you understand why we're doing that. It's teaching us all the more what it means to receive in order to give. Sometimes we all need to lower our pride a bit and, and be able to be ministered to in order to be empowered to minister to others. That really is the way it works. I've been so blessed. Tim and I talk a lot about how blessed we are. We receive a lot when we have deacons meetings. We always have somebody there offer grace along the journey. And gosh, every one of them has been really inspiring. really has been. And it gets kind of personal sometimes, and it's just really cool, and, and uh, we, we do that. We talk, we dream up things like this two or more thing. Uh, we pray together, which always means so much to, to Tim and me, I know. It just strengthens me to hear us circling up in different places and voicing prayers on behalf of the church, on behalf of our ministries, on behalf of specific situations. But again, it, it's, it's cool that, that we're wanting to, again, receive that in order to give back, and I think that's such an incredible blessing. And it's especially a blessing, again, when we model ourselves after the one who gave more than anybody. God so loved the world that he gave his son, who eventually was on the cross. You know, what? <laughs> when I was a kid, um, when I'd be sick, my mom, who, who, mom had a dramatic kind of flair about her anyway, and she would come into the room, and here I was coughing and, and had a high fever, and I was just so uncomfortable, and I was miserable. I'd been sick for a few days. And I remember one day she came in and sat by the side of my bed and rubbed my head and rubbed my back, and real sweetly she just said, Oh, J- Jim, Jimmy, I was Jimmy back then. Oh, Jimmy, I so wish I could take this from you. And I'll never forget her saying, I so wish I could take this. And I thought, and I got a lump in my throat even as a kid. I thought, what a cool mom to say something like that. That's, I got a cool mom. She's great. And I never did thank her for that, which was very sweet of her to say. But I always, she would come in whenever I'd be sick and she'd get to the point. If it got kind of bad, she said, oh, I so wish I could take this from you. And I just thought it was kind of cool. But I remember filing that away thinking, you know, I want to say that one day where I'll say that to one of my children and silently they'll get a lump in their throat and they won't have to respond. They'll just get a and oh, I've got the greatest dad, okay? Hannah was sick. She was about five or six. I'll never forget this. I walk in, and I thought, oh, I'm going to pull that one out. And she's miserable. She's had a number of days with high fever and coughing and sore throat and everything. So I did, just as mom would have done, sat down by the bed, rubbed her little head, rubbed her little back, and I said, oh, Sweetie, I so wish I could take this from you. And immediately she looked up and said, me too. (laughs) She's more practical, you know. But what, what do I say that, you know, ultimately what's so great about living this way and giving in this way is it does make us more like the one who gave more than anything. Here's this God who didn't just say, oh, I wish I could take it from you. 
I wish I could take the pain from you. I wish I could take the darkness that you experience. I wish I could take the fears that you undergo sometimes. I wish I could take your, the evil that you struggle with. I wish you could take those internal things that other people don't see and that you're scared and you want, you know, you, it would just be, be so embarrassing if people knew about that. I wish I could take those from you. And the thing is, he did. He did just that. And it wasn't all talk. He did it. So can we not at least give back and be all the more blessed? Let's pray together. Teach us, O oh God, to be givers. Teach us the blessing of receiving as well. Sometimes we're not as good at that here because we want to show ourselves how together we are and show that to other people. And forgive us when sometimes we throw up that thin veneer of strength and spirituality when sometimes we're a mess. And, and as Ethan said earlier, life and spirituality is messy sometimes, and we are too. So we're so grateful that you saw that in our world and in our very souls and came down and said, I'm here and I'm going to take that away from you. Ultimately, yes, you will struggle with it while you're here in the world, but ultimately, I have taken care of that for you. And because of that, one day you won't be dealing with any of it. All the more reason that we are so blessed now, and we are blessed when we go out to be blessings for other people. So God, make us a more missional people. Remind us what a blessing it is just to be a part of a place like this that is so crazed about getting out there and sharing your gospel and, and, and sharing it through our words and our actions. We thank you for the blessing of giving. And I want to invite you to do something now. As you continue to pray, I want you to think about one thing right now. And, and, and don't feel selfish about this. Feel truthful about it. And share with God something that you need to receive from Him. Is it courage? Is it hope? Is it encouragement? Is it guidance about something? Is it something that has caused you frustration or anger or impatience? Is it something that's making you question and doubt things? Or maybe it's something that's causing you to question and doubt yourself. What is it you need to receive from him. I, I want you to just take a moment and, and in truthfulness, unabashedly, tell him what you need to receive that you can be all the more effective a minister for him. What, what is something that's a stumbling block? What is something that it, it's, it's, it's impinging upon you? It's a distraction, a preoccupation for you, but you need to receive something from him. Strength, encouragement, love, grace, forgiveness, comfort, whatever it might be. Take a moment and just ask that you might receive that from him. before you in transparency in vulnerability in openness confessing to you again our dependence our utter dependence upon you our need for you 
our desperation for you. So hear our prayers now, especially among our brothers and sisters who are really needing to receive that which will help them give better and be better ministers in your name. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave and gave in the most powerful, moving, most ultimate manner that the world has ever witnessed. Thank you that we simply get to be a part of that amazing reality, that amazing narrative, that amazing journey of which we're part. We thank you for that. We ask that we would make ourselves all the more open and softened toward what you would have us do and be, and we will sing in just a moment about surrender. And Lord, help us just to yield to you in our brokenness, in our honesty, in our truthfulness and share with you our need to surrender to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.